0: it is an honor and a privilege uh, to be able to speak to you this morning as a communicator. Um, my husband's a very brave man, isn't he? <laughs> yes, he is. He is a very, very brave man. Um, you know, tomorrow we um, observe Veterans Day. Um, it's our, uh, the uh, official holiday, but really it's today, November 11. And I just want to ask, um, if you have served in our armed forces, if you're continuing to serve or you have previously served, would you uh, just stand this morning We would just like to honor you this morning if you have served. Thank you. Um, I'm very blessed because my father uh, served, and um, I grew up with just a very um, sense of of understanding what it means to serve and um, the idea of sacrifice and surrender. And so I'm so thankful for my dad. Here's my dad, I made my mom send me that picture. And if you know my son, Sean, that looks like Sean, right there, uh, that's my dad though. Uh, he, was a, um, he served, uh, Sergeant Phil Hennefield uh, served in the Vietnam War. He was stationed outside of Frankfurt, Germany. He was a radio teletype team chief and also operated the 5th Army C.W. Morse code net. My dad is a ham radio operator. Does anybody know what that is? Yeah, the, the only 16 year old that had to pass a code test Yes, right here. Yes. The only 16-year-old driving around with a two-meter radio in her car in high school. Yes. Um, My dad was overseas for 16 months and um, just always raised me with just a a huge um, uh, appreciation for those that have have served. And so if you have a family member that has served um, or continues to serve, just call them today and just say thank you for your service. It's something I've done with my dad um, ever since I left home at 18, and just told him how much I appreciate the sacrifice. So can we just give them one more round of applause? Yeah, last week, uh, Todd unpacked the biblical definition of worship. He talked about four key things um, that uh, we need to know about worship from a biblical perspective. And I just want to unpack those again. Number one, he talked about the fact that we were created to worship. And that number two, their worship is us exalting God, not exalting us. It's not about us. It's about him. And number three, their worship is a response to God, revealing himself to man. And number four, worship is an outward expression of an inward faith, Worship is an outward expression of an inward faith, and that's where I kinda wanna camp out today um, in context of my own life uh, this morning. Um, I've never been one to go with the flow. For those of you that don't know me, yeah, those that do know me, go ahead, cue laughter. Yes, you know. Um, yeah, thank you, Daniel. Uh, I like to challenge the process. Um, I've never wanted to just fit in, even from the time I can remember being really young. Um, That's just never been my thing. I wanted to make a difference and I wanted to stand out. And um, this is not a bad thing. I'm encouraging this in my own five-year-old and eight-year-old. This is a good thing. Um, But any strength, I think you would agree with me, uh, taken to an extreme can become a weakness in your life. And um, being a driven person uh, can definitely um, morph you into a very me-focused life. Um, And uh, I definitely woke up each day with a plan and the way we're going to execute it. My mom said, Cynthia, you should have been in the Army. Um, yeah, so, uh, so the idea growing up of kind of putting aside what I wanted to do for the sake of someone else, yeah, that, that didn't really resonate very well. Um, not really something I was drawn to. And in context of being a Christ follower, I became a believer probably at a very young age. For me, I remember distinctly around the age of 12, really kind of understanding that I was a sinner and Jesus died for me and that he, his sacrifice for me guaranteed me a hope of heaven if I just believed in that. And so that's kind of, I, I did get that at a young age. But the other part I really never quite connected with for many years was what Todd talked about in September about being a true follower. And um, you know I, I didn't really totally accept the fact that being a Christ follower was not about what I wanted but what God wanted. I had a hard time with that. And um, I've been blessed that I don't really have a life, a past of a lot of external uh, circumstances or mistakes, but I have had um, a lot of internal battles that I have have raged that nobody's known about for many years. Um, And uh, those were the things of me wanting to do what I wanted to do constantly, just kind of over and over in my spirit. And I thought as long as my outward expression, because I was good at faking it, Yeah, As long as my outward expression looked right, then it wasn't that big of a deal that my internal battles and my internal rebellion, I'll just call it what it was, uh, was going on. And so today, um, I want to talk about that in context of my story and on this number of points, that worship is an outward expression of an inward faith. And I want to talk about that today in context of what God has shown me in my heart and in my journey um, and then I want to share a passage from Psalms with you today that's been foundational for me. So would you pray with me this morning? Um, God, I just thank you so much for the privilege um, to have a journey and to share a story. And even as I was preparing this over the last few weeks, God, just um, I'm just overwhelmed at your faithfulness, your grace and your mercy in my own life. And so today, I just pray that as I share um, just a, a little bit of what you've taught me, on this idea of inward and outward worship connecting. I just pray that my words would just permeate the hearts and the lives of people here today, that um, it's nothing special what you've taught me, God, but I think it's a lifelong principle that, that I know i struggled with most of my life. And um, I just pray that you would um, use my, my words today um, and that it would just cause people to see who you are and what you've done in the light of your grace and mercy in our lives and that um, today, because we've been here in your house, uh, worshiping you, honoring you with our, not just our outward expression of being here in attendance, but God, with our inner expression, with the thoughts and the intents of our heart, God, that you would just be glorified by it all today. And we just give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I've had the privilege of uh, being involved in a, uh, in church, as Todd was saying, for over 20 years in a staff role, whether part-time or full-time. But before that, I was a preacher's daughter. Yes, that is our church. Don't you love the scan feature from the 80s now? Because we can, like, scan all these horrible pictures in. Um, I don't really know what's going on with the pink. It must have been a Christmas color. Okay. Um, But this was our church. That's my dad. Um, This is Grace Community Bible Church in Denham Springs, Louisiana. And my dad planted this church in 1980 with really about seven or eight families. And um, we, uh, we were privileged to rent a facility uh, like this um, toward the end of my middle and high school years. Uh, we usually met in homes really up to that point. And um, so there, there's my dad and there's me. Yeah, there's me on a grand piano. this is, must have been Christmas because the lights and then, of course, the poinsettia scarf. Okay, come on. <laughs> you, you had a poinsettia scarf. Come on, you know you did. Okay. Obviously, I turned it around because I couldn't play the piano with it. I mean, something's going on here. Anyway. Um, but, uh but I grew up in church. I grew up falling asleep on the chairs uh, when mom and dad were there. And uh, my dad was never full-time until my senior year of high school. He was called a bivocational pastor, which meant he had a full-time job and he was a full-time pastor. Um, and so that's the life I grew up in, uh, being around the church, being involved in church. Uh, my mom worked with children. You see my mom and dad here from time to time working with our children as well in Island Kids. And that was, that's how I grew up. And uh, I got to tell you, during all that time, music and worship... Um, we're always used interchangeably. We would always say music, but we meant worship. We'd say worship, but we meant music. And as Todd shared last week, you know, the definition of worship is ascribing worth or high value to something. It's not really a musical term at all. And um, we've kind of gotten that mixed up in the church as to really what true worship is. Um, there's got to be a direct connection between our outward expression, you know, raising our hands, singing, smiling, you know, all these things, and the inner, inner parts of our souls, um, that's, that's the most important part of, of that whole, whole thing there. Because true worship has to be an outward expression of an inward faith. There has to be a connection between what's going on here and what's going on out here. Um, my mom taught me to play the piano from the time I was three. Yeah, you see that look? Todd still sees that look. Yeah, like really, really, really. Um, I think I was five, though, in this photo. Um, But yeah, my my first piano lessons began at three. And I thought, hey, I'll start teaching Sydney at three. My mom was crazy. (laughs) Nuts. Sydney's like, what? Yeah, that didn't work. Um, Anyway, both of my children now have finally come to the other side and are letting me teach them. But um, I remember moments as a kid, which this look says it all, really. Um, I loved it. I hated it. I loved it. I hated it. You know, being that your mom is the piano teacher—not just your mom, but the piano teacher—I'm sure that caused a lot of, of that look right there. Um, but uh, when I was in fourth grade, my mom had had it, and she let me quit. Best decision my mom ever made, because she knew as hard-headed as I was, as frustrating as I could be about not getting what I want. Back to how I set this up, um, she knew that like this is just not going to work. So she let me quit. For a whole year, I don't think I played the piano or anything. And then about fifth grade, you know, I'm like, you know, I kind of missed that. You know, it was a part of my life. I didn't really remember my life without it. So mom found me another teacher. Two, you know, two things for mom. Smart there. Find another teacher. And I just started playing the piano again. And I wasn't, I was just kind of into it. It was just something kind of to do. But I wasn't really into it, you know, per se. But um, do you ever remember, and some of you uh, students may not be there yet, but you may have, but for you adults, do you remember that moment where you're like, when I grow up, I want to, and you fill in the blank. you remember? Okay. Well, I distinctly remember mine. I was about 12, and I'd gone to my first concert. Now, I lived in South Louisiana. Now, when I say concert, I'm not talking Phillips Arena or Madison Square Gardens. I'm talking a cow pasture out in the middle of a field. That was my first concert experience, yeah. And um, in my area where we grew up, southern gospel music was huge. How many of you know what southern gospel music is? All right, the rest of you go home and Google it, okay? Um, southern gospel music, whether you like it or don't like it, has produced some of the most amazing musicians and singers of our generation. And um, that's the music I kind of grew up going to. And you could pretty much find a southern gospel concert anytime you wanted. Like, you could, you could find one. Um, so, I remember I was at this concert, and a friend of mine had taken me. I'd never been, and there's this guy on a trailer playing an upright piano. And they're all singing, and he's just smiling. And sing, no music. Okay, I'd never seen anybody play without music before. And uh, he's just smiling and singing. And I'm like, now, that is what I want to do. I was like, that's it. That's what I want to do. And I was just, they had a bus. I mean, they had, they had records, they had tapes, so I went. I went to the uh, to the little t- tape out in the cow pasture table, and uh, I bought everything. I I all the money I had. I bought every cassette. Go ahead, laugh. Yes, cassettes that they had, and took them home. And I just tore it up. I started listening to this music and just started like anything Anthony played. He was the guy playing the piano. Um, I learned, and um, I spent you know, hours just practicing and learning. And at that time, I didn't really know I played by ear. And for those of you that don't know the musical term, that means where you're, you're not necessarily reading the music, but you hear what needs to happen musically, and you're able to do that. You can understand chords, and you understand how that, that happens. It's why sometimes y'all laugh, because I'm up here, and I'm talking. Hey, and I'm, it's God has given me this ability to be able to play by ear. I can, I can hear the music, and I can play it. So I didn't really know that until I started, like, listening to his, his tapes and stuff. So I learned his instrumental, okay? I learned it. I'm sure it wasn't that great, but I, I learned it, okay? And um, they ended up being in our area a lot, but about a year later, he told me I could play it with him in a concert. Oh my goodness. So after the concert, I get up there with Anthony, and he lets he plays with me, he doesn't do it. I'm telling you, for me, this was, this was the greatest moment of my life. There was, there was no moment like up to this, my 13 years of life, okay, And um, I am so thankful that this guy didn't, you know, call his bodyguards and get the 13-year-old stalker to leave him alone, because literally, if it hadn't been for him really looking at me and encouraging me at 13, I don't really know if I'd have the story to tell you today, to be honest. Um, So he gave me his record, and he autographed it, and he wrote this verse. He wrote uh, Philippians 1.6 on it, and I didn't know the verse at the time, so I went home, looked it up, and... um, And I read it, and I'm going to read you a different version. I I grew up with King James, but this is the message version, and I love the way this says this. It says, There's never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears. And that became my life verse, because basically what Anthony was saying is, Cynthia, God's given you a gift, and he's going to make it complete in him. And you need to use it for him. So I took that, I took that to heart. And um, I've decided I'm going to go on the road. I'm going to travel. I'm going I'm to play keys. I'm going I'm to do it all. That was it. So obviously I didn't want to go to college. Who wants to go to college when you can play music? Um, so my parents, of course, you're going to college. I was actually pretty good in school. I was the salutatorian of, of my high school. And so I was good. But I just wanted to play music. I didn't want to do school. So finally we settled on the flames of Liberty University. Give me a shout, Cody. Yes. And um, I ended up at, in Lynchburg, Virginia. Um, in my first year at LU, I was able to audition for uh, one of the premier groups of Liberty, The Sounds of Liberty. Aren't you loving this? Yes. Yes, The Sounds of Liberty. And uh, during that, that year, um, that audition process, um, it was amazing what God was starting to do in my life. Um, we traveled uh, all over the country, mainly in the Midwest and the Eastern United States, but we traveled with Dr. Falwell. Um, this is, they gave me a mic one time. I have no idea why. I, I was just the band chick at this point, usually just playing uh, keys. Um, but oh, look at that hair, isn't that nice? The guy on the bass set Todd and I up on our first date, so I'll tell you that in a little bit. But So this is us, uh, some parking lot we're playing in. I have no idea. Um, but uh, we, uh, but it was an interesting time because not only were, was I involved in, uh, we were on television every week on Sundays with Thomas Redd playing Um, But we did a lot of national events um, because we kind of traveled with Dr. Falwell and did those things. So I was kind of thrust into a pretty, um, I I think, a a pretty big spotlight for a 19-year-old, 20-year-old. We were doing national conventions, and we were doing a lot of Christian music and secular music. It wasn't all... Uh, just Christian music, so we'd pull out Broadway tunes next to a rock and roll tune, next to, you know, whatever, and um, it was an awesome time. I'll tell you, we got to meet some really neat people, and um, just kind of being in that arena was was a cool experience, but I was starting to get really addicted to that spotlight. Um, I I was pursuing my full-time music degree at the same time that I was traveling on the road. Do not recommend that, yeah, um, those four years of college were the hardest I've ever worked in my life because I was probably practicing for something, whether it was my classical degree in piano or traveling about five to six hours a day. And that sounds great, but that's not a life. <laughs> and so um, it was hard. I have to look, I look back on college and I'm like, some people are like, man, college was great. I'm like, no, it was tough. And um, it was a lot to try to balance those two worlds. Um, and then, uh, you know, during this time, you know, I'm, I'm walking with God, I am, but I'm really, like I said earlier, struggling with this whole idea of, like, I'm good at the thing, I'm good at the outward expression, but inwardly, I just had a lot of me going on, uh, there, it was all about me, all about me, and this, you know, what I was doing and all that, you know, and then Todd shows up, oh, <laughs> look at him, he's so good looking, Yes, Todd shows, I love that photo. Isn't that great? <laughs> yes. He, he approved all the photos before <laughs> I took. And as I said earlier, Jonathan, the bass player, uh, he set us up on a blind date. And um, it was great. Todd and I were in two different worlds. Now, this is the part of the story many of you don't know. Okay, Todd was going to be an attorney. Um, he was in the whole political side of things in college. He was a student judge. Okay, if you got a traffic ticket at Liberty, you had to go before Todd to plead your case. (laughs) Isn't that great? Okay, so he was a student judge, and uh, he was totally involved in student government, very much on that side. And I was over here in the whole musical artsy weirdo people here. So the cool thing was that we kind of brought our two worlds together. We were not really connected in that. And Jonathan honestly was uh, lived in Todd's dorm. I think that's how was really the only reason why, and he played with me, and 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 that kind of that was the only way we probably got connected in that sense. So. Todd's got his thing going on, and I've, I've got my thing going, and, and really, that was cool because God had no idea we'd be doing this. I'm I mean God knew. Let me say that again. He knew. <laughs> Todd and I did not, um, and so uh, it was. It's just neat that our relationship started with us really coming from two different worlds. In fact, I'll tell you this. Todd really kind of was annoyed with the whole music thing because when everybody's out with their girlfriends on the weekend, I was on the road. So at one time in our relationship, he goes, you know, this music thing, is this like a phase? Like, is this going to be, like, are we going to be done, you know? Because I was gone all the time, you know? And uh, so life's getting complex, all the, you know, he's in the thing, I want to go do this thing, and you know how these worlds are all about to collide. Well, I had this, another moment, kind of like when I was 12. We were in South Carolina, which is weird. And uh, I, was sitting, I was sitting in a pew. We were loading out. It was about 11 o'clock at night, which obviously I was getting out of loadout because I don't know why I was sitting there by myself for a while. And um, I just remember we'd had a good concert, and I just was sitting there, and I go, you know, now this is 1992, 93, okay? And I said, wouldn't it be cool if the music we just played, if we could do that on Sunday mornings? You got to Remember? In 1993, drummers would have been shot if they had shown up with their sticks on a Sunday morning. Okay, drums were not acceptable in the local church in that time, and um, and I just remember thinking, "Man, what we did tonight was awesome! Like, what if what if church could be like that? What if we could do that?" And the Holy Spirit said, "That's what you're supposed to do." And literally, I verbally, no, 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 I like talk start talking out loud. I remember. Um, no, 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 no. I've done the church thing. Yeah, I'm churched out. Did the, you know, the preacher. I'm done. I've gone to church more than anybody will in their lifetime, okay? i I've, And I'm not, I'm only, you know, 20, okay? So I'm done. I'm not doing the church thing. So I didn't tell anybody about that, okay? I'm like, I'm not bringing that up, you know? And uh, I just moved on, and, you know, my plans started, you know, kind of come together. And so, as God only does, right, we end up going to these churches my junior and senior year, and these pastors, these music ministers, kept taking me aside. Hey, Cynthia, what are you gonna do after college? And I'm like, I'm going to Nashville. That was a standard answer. I'm going to Nashville, I'm gonna make records, I'm gonna do this stuff. Have you ever thought about, going? I'm like, what? You know, and then they're doing the cell, you know. You would be so great. I'm like, yeah, because you want me to work for you. I know, you know and I'm like, you know, doing this whole, you know, but I couldn't escape the fact that, like, God kept sending these really amazing men. And at that time, there were no women doing uh, worship other than, you know, maybe playing the piano or something, but not in a leadership role. And God just sent some amazing music ministers, that's what we called them, to my life to really help me to to kind of affirm what God had already kind of told me in my spirit. And uh, I'm still fighting this. And then, of course, what does Todd do? He has to go and ask me to marry him. Just to, com- just to make it more, com- and I'm like, you know what? this is, this isn't going well. Now, (laughs) I need to preface this, okay? Okay? Now, let me preface. Now, you have to go with me. Those of you that are non-artists have to go with me. Us that are artists, okay, our art is our life, okay? And to say, I didn't want to marry someone, that is a true, that's actually a blessing because as many of you have seen in our culture, how many marriages fall apart, right? Right? With artists, actors, musicians, and stuff like that, it is very difficult. And I knew enough about myself, which I'm thankful at 21, to know if I had married him and gone on the road, we would not have been together. We'd have been divorced or I wouldn't have married him or something would have happened. I knew that enough about art and about being creative and being musical and our whole weir- weird world we're in that I couldn't do it. And so I had a crossroads because I knew I was going to be choosing either a path to pursue my thing and make it big and do it or I was going to choose a path with Todd that, honestly, I didn't really know how the local church was going to fit in because I really didn't want to go. You know, and I'm just being honest with you this morning. But I have to tell you, and those of you that that know me know I just, I kind of call it like it is, Um, Todd was extremely meant for me. And those of you that know Todd and I's relationship know that. I don't mean to be trite when I say that. Because there's not a lot of men that could put up with my independent driving spirit like he does. And God knew that. And he knew I would need someone to come alongside me to help with the edges. Which, I know, honey, we're still working on my edges. Um, but he knew that we that Todd would be the kind of man that I would need. He's a very strong man, but he's a very kind man. And uh, God knew that. And so I made the decision to accept his proposal. <sighs> I did. <laughs> and so... During that same season, though, I, I, I'll tell you this: I had an opportunity to travel with a, a really cool group. Uh, they traveled internationally, and um, I, I knew that if I made the group, I, I couldn't turn them down. So I didn't audition. And you know, people are like, "Man, I have regret about." You know what? I don't, because I'll never know, and I'm glad I don't know, because I feel like I made the better choice. Don't y'all think I made the better choice? Yes. <laughs> so. At this, t- at this time, Todd doesn't know um, where he's gonna go to law school, but he's thinking he's gonna be going uh, in the South. So I started interviewing with churches in the Southeast, and we settled in South Florida. And some of you know his story or have heard his story of how God just said, no, nah, you're not going to law school. Um, and that's for another time. But while this was happening, and Todd was kind of figuring out what God wanted him to do, I was getting the hard knocks of church life kicked all over me, okay? The first two pastors I served with both had to resign for moral failures. People just weren't nice about the fact that I brought this rock and roll music into church. Uh, Yeah. Um, And the whole woman thing. Now, for you up north, I'm not talking to you right now because you don't have a problem with this. But here in the south, we're just a little weird about women on the stage. Okay? And so that was a little odd at moments. And I have to be honest, I've been very blessed to serve in several different churches that honestly the leadership, the pastors I've served with have been awesome. They have not ever made me feel that. Um, but that is just a little bit of life. So guess what? After three years, I was bitter, and I said, I quit. I'm done. My bitterness had sunk in, and I'm done. And I, I, I told God, I'm like, alright, I'll do it part-time because they need somebody to do this thing. Okay? But I'm going to go make records. So um, at that time, I went part-time and uh, just began making records and doing a lot of stuff. Because in my 20-something-year-old mind, you ready? Doing something part-time for God counts. I'm doing this a little, but, you know, I'm going to go do this. And I was basically saying, here I am, but just 20 hours a week um, because I'm going to go make records and and do all this stuff. And I was having fun, I got to tell you. I got to do some cool stuff. I did a lot of session work, uh, keyboard work, vocal arranging in the Atlanta area. um, And it was awesome. But I got to tell you, I was miserable (laughs) because I knew I had one foot in obedience and one foot in disobedience. And literally that year of my life, I felt like I was in neutral. I just was in neutral. I wasn't moving forward. I wasn't moving backward. And um, so I was struggling, really struggling in my walk with God because the outward expression was starting not to be really where I could keep it going. I couldn't keep the act up very long. And, um, you know, nobody knew this. Like I said earlier, this the rebelliousness in my heart. This wasn't something, um, it wasn't something that people knew. I was singing to God and I was doing all this for God, but inside I was harboring just a ton of rebellion because see the surrendered life is difficult because you can mask it with outward expressions of things that look like the real thing you know and you can come in here too on Sundays and worship you know and live like Satan the other six right we all do it right you know I've done that I've been there I've sang on this on stages before and I've, I've done this outward thing but inside I've had just rebellion and just fighting against God and what God wants you know, First Samuel 15 really says this well. I love the message version because it kind of sticks it right to you. This is uh, the prophet Samuel speaking about it. He says, do you think all God wants are sacrifices, empty rituals just for show? He wants you to listen to him. Plain listening is the thing, not staging a lavish religious production. Ouch. And in my heart, there was some lavish religious production going on, you know. And then uh, 2005 rolls around. Todd and I had uh, had our first child. We waited nine years to have children. Um, part, that was our decision. Um, and we had Sydney. And uh, Todd had gone to have uh, coffee with a friend of ours on Christmas Eve after one of our Christmas Eve services. And he comes home. Sydney's six months old, I think, at the time. And he said, hey, um, I had coffee with Aaron tonight. And I'm like, okay. He goes, yeah, he and Carmen are wanting to plant a church in New York City. like, <laughs> oh We're going, I don't even have to pray about it. I mean, I knew it, it was like immediate confirmation. You know, and at this time, things were going really well at North Star where we were. We had the house, guys, we had the nice house, four bedroom, three bath, full basement. My husband had just finished me an in-home studio I had my own studio, own vocal booth, whole deal. We just had our first child. And if you've met Sydney, it wasn't even like parenting. She's just easy, you know. I mean, it's just all the flowers and the daisies and everything's great. And Todd tells him God says this. Oh, gosh, you know. And I knew this was it. I knew at finally God was like, okay, Cynthia, you have a choice. Because literally, I had been given everything you could possibly be given in the worship ministry. I had 80-plus volunteers, more money than we knew what to do with. I had five worship leaders. We were running 2,000 every week. It was awesome. It was great. And God's like, I need you to lay it all on the line for me and go to New York. And in fact, I don't even want you to be the worship leader when you go up there. What? What? No, we're not even going to do that. And uh, 2005, my life changed. My attitude toward what God was asking of me with the surrendered life, it changed. Um, I had to have three garage sales (laughs) to get rid of all the stuff. Because we were moving to, uh, I don't know, 850 square foot apartment, yeah. So we'd been married for many years. I was selling things, getting rid of things that were actually meaningful. Things that we had had, but there was nowhere to take it. We sold our cars. And we put our house in the market in the spring of 2005. Does anyone remember spring of 2005 with the housing market? So we put this house in the market. Oh, and then I gotta go tell the grandparents that we're taking the grandbaby to uh, Manhattan to live. Yeah, um, I was raw. I was absolutely ripped of all everything. I don't know how else to say that. Um, and God really dealt with me about my heart. And it was a year of discipline for me, of Cynthia, man, you've just, you have so much ability and so much talent, and you, I've given you these gifts, but your heart, you've never, ever laid it all on the line for me. You've always just held on just a little bit of like, I'm really good at this, look at what I can do, and I'm asking you to leave it all. And I did. And it's I talk, when I even talk about it to this day, it's still emotional for me, because it was the ripping of flesh, everything that I thought I'd work my whole life for. And we packed it all up in a 12-foot trailer. (laughs) Todd and Watson, our dog at the time, drove. Sydney and I flew to New York City. And we entered two of the most tough years of our lives of doing ministry in in Manhattan. And I didn't have a stage, I didn't have a band, I didn't have multiple worship leaders. I had nothing. And um, God taught me what true worship was in those two years. And uh, it wasn't about me, it wasn't about the band, what about all that? It was about my heart toward him. And I had the opportunity to work with artists. My job was, I still sang and played a little bit, but really my, my role when we were in New York was to come alongside artists and help them understand uh, how God had a plan for their life. And so I was the arts outreach director for the Gallery Church of Manhattan. And, um... For those of you that do know me, when we left New York to move here, it was really tough because I really do felt like there was a sense of the stage being ripped from me. And I was very, I loved being there. I loved where I was in my walk with God because it really was just about him and me at that time and that season. And um, I'm not saying that I don't still struggle with surrender. Trust me. I know this whole issue of me giving up what I want for him is a daily battle. It really is. And it will be till the day I die. I know that. But for some of you, maybe you've never surrendered, or maybe surrender comes easy to you. Maybe it's not difficult. But for me, it has always been a struggle. And uh, one of the passages, um, well, I just got to show that picture because I just think that's so cute. Yes, I know. And there's us in New York. Yeah, living there. It was awesome. You know, our outward worship must start with the inner surrender. And uh, this, this passage in Psalms has really been meaningful to me. I just want to read this. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. Now, when I first learned this passage in high school, I thought it was like a slot machine, you know, with God, right? Read it differently, okay? Take delight, and he will give you. Okay, I'm going to take delight. I'm going to do my quiet time. I'm going to do the church thing. Cha-ching! And then you're going to give me what I want, right? Yeah? Okay. Okay. So when I first learned this passage, that's the way I, I, gra- I grasped that. Um, but then when I really started realizing what this is about, I realized that I was wrong. You know, that point number one there uh, in your outline this morning is that we need to trust him to have a here-I-am lifestyle of worship, to truly be surrendered in our outward and our inward expressions to connect, we have to trust him. You know, Proverbs 3.6 says, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. You know, acknowledge him, trust him, lay it on the line. God is saying to us, he will keep us in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him, on God, because he trusts in you. You know, I'm not, I like control. I'm sorry. God made me that way. I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm surrounded by control freaks on this stage and back in the back. Um, no. Bless you all. <laughs> I know God made me this way. There's a, there's a reason, but the thing is, is that, him asking me to let go of control is very difficult for me. You know, I don't want to live that surrendered life of, okay, I mean, ask our family. Do we just wake up every day and just say, eh, whatever happens, happens? Mom's over on the floor crying if that's what's happening, okay? It, it doesn't, doesn't work that way, you know? Um, I read a lot of verses. I don't know about you. I heard an expression one time from a Bible teacher named Cynthia Heald, and she used the expression basement verses, And I love that. Do you have verses in your life that are like basement verses that are like foundational? Like if you don't read these on a regular basis, this passage to me is uh, foundational for me. If I don't read this passage on a regular basis, um, I just, I I really have to have it. And I would challenge you, if there's that thing in your life, find some basement verses and put them somewhere where you can read them constantly to be reminding you of that. You know, um, number two there in your outline, uh, we need to trust him first of all. But the second thing that we need to do is that we need to take delight in Him. You know, uh, do you enjoy spending time with God, kind of getting quiet? And, okay, not me. No, sorry. Not like really a quiet person. Um, that's something I've struggled with. I don't like to be by myself and nothing going on. You know, I don't like that. I've never been like that. My son, poor Sean, is the same way. He can't stand quiet, he doesn't like it quiet. This was a struggle for me, because what does the scripture encourage us to do? What did Jesus do? Pulled away to get alone with God. He pulled away to get alone with God. Okay, so this is hard for me. This was something I really struggled with. And I would play that slot machine thing. I would go, okay, I'm gonna spend some time with God. You know, gotta check that off, because then I gotta go do my thing. Oh, you know you've done it, come on. (laughs) You know, and it's true. Like, we get into this slot machine thing with God. you know, I'll do this, you do this, and that's the way we, we look at our relationship with God. But I gotta tell you, after going through what I went through um, and kind of that purging time of my life, I learned how to really enjoy taking delight in Him. I really did. And now, in our family, if you ask me to do things on Monday, you're in trouble. Uh, Monday is my day where the whole world kind of aligns and I have time to take delight. Um, in God and just get away and have that time. That's one thing I love about living living here is the the nature trails and the beach walks. Um, It's just being able to get out. Because for me, I can do something, okay? I'm walking or I'm doing, but I'm talking to God and I'm connecting with him. So if you happen to see me on a beach and I'm talking to myself, I'm talking to God. I'm just going to go ahead and say that now. If I'm just like absolutely that, that's what I do. Um, so that's that's one thing that I've learned to do, and and I love taking delight in God now. I do. It's not this thing. It's not this whole slot machine thing anymore of of wanting something from Him. I'm just enjoying being with Him now, um, and that's definitely something that has changed in my life. Um, the third thing there, uh, take delight, and then. Uh, Secondly is take delight. The third thing there is uh, to commit everything to him. You know, this verse, uh, Proverbs 16, three says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. That's one of my other basement verses. Commit to, lay it all in line for him first. Lay it all in line for him. And uh, we like to put God in a box sometimes, don't we? I got this. You get that. I got this. Oh, wait, wait. I take it back, I'll take that, let me take that, right? And we take it back from God and then we trade and we came back, you know, this yang, this yang, back and forth. But I think it's pretty clear, commit everything. I think the Greek word for everything is everything. Um, commit everything, <laughs> honey, that was for you. Um, everything, all of it, everything, everything to him. You know, the surrendered life is all or nothing You know, when I had that season where I was one foot one out, I wasn't moving anywhere. I was in neutral, you know. And I think sometimes we struggle with that in our lives because we just don't want to lay it all on the line. I know how you feel. I've been there. You know, for you students out there, I know what it feels like to feel like, you know, (laughs) I'm inundated with all this church stuff all the time. You know, do this, do that. You need to go to church. You need to go to a small group. You need to do these things. And I was there. I know exactly how that feels, and I have to tell you, when I stripped all that away and just realized it was about me and God and not all that stuff, and about him just wanting to know me and me wanting to know him, life got really simple. And life, got, life didn't get easier at all. but Life got real simple about what God's called me to do, me personally. You know, one of the best things for me on Sundays is that no matter what kind of week I've had, I always pray something like this on the way here, or whoever's leading our worship, we pray that whatever we do this morning, God, we just give it to you, wherever we are in our lives, whether we've had a bad week, whether we've had a good week, it's irrelevant. Today, the reason we're here, why we're here on Sundays, is to focus, and I say it a lot, our heart and mind on who God is and what he's done for us, you know? But our outward worship, you know, it's got to start with inner surrender. You know, it's got to start there, you know, it has to start there. And that's why it's important for you to be here on Sundays because I've sat where you sat. I know you think I'm up here every week and like Cynthia, that's, you got that view, okay, but you don't know what it's like. I do know what it's like to sit where you have sat. And I got to tell you, the seasons of life where I didn't, wasn't in church, maybe we were between moves or transitions, my heart started to get hard. I could sense that hardness. You know, you need to be here every week because your heart needs it. You need to be here so you can worship God, that you can say, God, I've had a really bad week Okay, so I'm going to surrender, starting this moment, to you this week. Okay? You know, that's why it's important for you to be here. Not because we just want you to be here every week. Just, oh, it would be nice if you could come every week. There's a reason. It's because our hearts need to be softened by the word of God, by worship, by singing songs that celebrate who he is and what he's done. That's why you need to be in corporate worship every week. It's for your heart. You know, I need that accountability, and we all need that. And the writer of Hebrews said this as well. He's talking about corporate worship. So let's do it. Full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. What are the promises? He always keeps his word, right? Let's see how inventive we can be. I love that word. And encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together as some do. Some just don't do it but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching, the day that Jesus comes back. That's why we need to be in worship. When you've made the choice, the other six days of the week, to do those things, to trust God, to take delight in God, and to commit to him, Sundays becomes a celebration of your lifestyle of worship that you did the week before. You already come in ready because you've been doing those things in your inner worship all week, so that on Sunday, when you get to do the outer thing, it's just an overflow. You're not having to drum it up it's an, out, it's an overflow of what's already been happening inside uh, your heart. Sundays allows you to end and begin your week focusing your heart and mind on who God is and what he's done for you. And I say that a lot, right? I'll say, I'm so glad that you chose to begin your week focusing your heart and mind on who God is and what he's done. That's why I say that often, um, is to give you that affirmation that what you're doing is going to help you understand the surrendered life and give you that connection C.S. Lewis said this. This is a great quote. There are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, all right then, have it your way. You know, and I've been there. All right, God. Yeah, yeah, I, I got it. And he's like, all right, Cynthia, you, you, you go try that, and you get back to me, you know, when that doesn't all work out. You know, I want to be that person that desires to say your will, not mine, God. That's, that's my heart's desire just closing this morning, I just want to, one of, one of my favorite things about the fact that we are Christ followers is that Jesus was innately human as much as he was also God. And we've been talking about this a little bit in our life group. And um, I'm so glad that I serve a God that understands human struggle. He lived here. Do y'all realize that? He lived here for 33 years of his life. He understood what it was like to be ignored in the playground as a kid. He understood what it was like to have sibling rivalry, right? Dealing with parents. We don't like we don't think about Jesus' humanity sometimes and that he struggled with those things. And one of my favorite verses of Jesus, because to me, this, this is giving me freedom in my life about the fact that I always struggle with surrender is this. When he was in the garden, about to go to the most cruel death for each and every one of us. Remember, he was fully God at the same time he was fully man. And I know that's a hard concept to get around. But he knew the suffering because he was God. He knew what he was about to face for every one of us, right? And what did he ask his father? Father, remove this cup from me. (laughs) Do I really have to do this? But what did he say? But please, not what I want. What do you want? Not what I want, God. what you want. And I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know where you are on your journey. Maybe... you don't don't even have a relationship with Jesus. You've never become even a believer. And maybe that's the first step for you today is to say, (laughs) I've never ever thought I couldn't do it on my own. And Jesus, I acknowledge today that I need you. And if so, I hope that you'll take that step today. But for us as Christ followers, are you willing today to say, please, not what I want. What do you want? And I join you in that struggle that I know it can be at times to be surrendered and to say, here I am, here I am. But today I would challenge you, God, not what I want, not what I want, but what you want.